All right. So um, this week we read about the journey of the Jewish people in the desert and how they um, uh, traveled for the uh, 40 years that they were in the desert. And the Torah, in the beginning of this Torah portion, enumerates all the places that they stopped. And the funny thing is, although the Torah is talking about the places that they stopped, the Torah says, these are the journeys of the Jewish sheep. It's not really about the journey, it's about the encampments, it's about the places they stopped. So why does the Torah describe this as, these are the journeys? It's, it's listing, they left Egypt, they went from place to place, until they got to, uh, to Israel. So, so the appropriate way to phrase this, it would seem, is here are the places that they stopped. So, commentaries address this. Oops. Rashi addresses this, it seems. Let's look at the first Rashi's in this week's Torah portion. Right in the second Torah portion of this week, Masih. Rashi says, Lam Why were these journeys counted? To tell us the kindness of Hashem. Although Hashem decreed, they have to travel, they have to be, um, they have to be, to be uh, uh, moving from place to place in the desert. If you might think, don't think, don't think, oh, they were suffering the whole time that they constantly keep, keep on moving. Don't think that. They had no rest. Rather, there are only 42 journeys here. 14 of them were in their initial departure from Egypt before, they were dec- before the decree that they had to stay in the desert. From until the spies were sent, they did already 14 um, journeys. So it comes out that there were very little um, movement in 40 years. So in 38 years, they only, went, they only did 20 journeys, Rashi says. That's Rashi's first explanation. Rashi brings a second explanation. And he says this, Rabbi Tanchuma gives another explanation about these journeys. Says Rabbi Tanchuma, Mashal Melech, this is like a king who took his ill son to a distant place to heal him. On the way back from the doctor, the father listed all the places they stopped. The father said, The father said, Here is where we slept. Here is where we got cold. Here is where you hurt your head, etc. So, according to Rashi's first explanation, that the Torah wants to underline how Hashem didn't make us travel the whole time, according to that explanation, it makes a lot of sense why the Torah, um, why the Torah um, lists these 42 things as, as journeys. Because the point is not where we camped, the point is how little we traveled. The point is, how little did we actually have to travel these 40, in these 40 years? So therefore the Torah lists them as 
as journeys, because Torah wants to say there are so, there's so little travel here. That's according to the first explanation of Rashi. But according to the second interpretation of Rashi, that Hashem is want, wanting to point out to us all the different things that happen throughout our um, living in the desert for 40 years. So according to that interpretation, it's the opposite. It seems like the focus should be not the journey, the focus should be on the places we camped, the chaniyes, the encampments, what happened in each place that we were in. So the question is, as Nachmanides and Orachim ask, why does the Torah call it the journeys? It should have called it the encampments. So Rashi actually addresses this question himself in Parshas Pekude, where we have this word, um, Rashi says, um, Rashi says, the place that they stop is also called a journey. Even though they're stopping there, it's called a journey as well. Why is it called a journey? It's the very last Rashi in, in the book of Shmois, the end of Parshas Pekude. Every journey that they took, they, the cloud would stop in the place that they would camp. The cloud would stop. And Tzotu by Avram Avinu uses that expression of, of um, because the place they stop is also called a journey. Place you stop is called a journey. And Rashi mentions also in this Torah portion, these are their journeys. Rashi says, why is it called the journeys? Because since in the place where they stopped, they again took another journey. The place where they they stopped wasn't just um, a permanent destination. They continued to travel. Since it was it was a step along the road, therefore it's also called a journey. Because it wasn't the final destination. The reason why it's called a journey, not, not a place they stopped, the Torah classifies it as a, as a journey because it, it wasn't the final destination. It's kind of like in yesterday's Hayom Yom, we, where we learned about the custom of the Rebbe Rashab. The Rebbe Rashab, whenever he traveled somewhere, he would, he would um, say the prayer for a traveler. He may stay in a place for many months, but he still said the prayer for a traveler. It, what, he didn't consider it as a, as a, he's now he's in that place permanently. He continued to say the prayer for traveling, although he was in one place for, for a long time. So too, says Rashi, Since they traveled again from the place they stopped, therefore the place they stopped is also called a journey. It's not called an encampment. It's called a journey. Even the place you stop is called a journey. Why is it called a journey? Because you're not fully where you are. You're going to continue to travel. So that place is also called part of the journey. So the Jewish people may have stopped many places, but there was no, there was no permanent destination. It was all um, on the way to Israel. And therefore, the Torah classifies their encampment too as part of the journey. That's what it may seem according to Rashi. That is seemingly a plausible explanation. That's why the Torah calls them the journeys because they didn't really stop. Although they stopped, it wasn't considered permanent. But there's an issue with this explanation. The issue with this is, the Talmud seems to say the exact opposite. The Talmud in Erevin, it, 
want to understand the halachic um, parameters of the encamp in the Jewish people. You know, on Shabbos, you're not allowed to um, bring things outside. You're not allowed to walk more than 2,000 cubits outside a city. Uh, you, if you live in a city like Los Angeles, you, could, you, you are allowed to um, walk throughout the city. I'm sorry, not carry. You're not allowed to walk outside the city. Um, you can walk 2,000 cubits, I'd say about 4,000 feet outside the city, but that's about it. So the question is, what, when the Jewish people were stopping for Shabbos, were they allowed to walk throughout the camp or not? What do we, how do we classify their encampment on Shabbos? If the encampment is considered a temporary thing, it's not considered a city, so you're not allowed to walk throughout the, the encamp because the camp is considered a temporary place. However, if it's considered a permanent stop, if they are permanently in this space, then they are allowed to uh, carry throughout that, that uh, I'm sorry, carry, allowed to walk throughout the encampment. If it's a permanent spot, you're allowed to walk throughout that place. If it's considered a city, you're allowed to walk throughout a city. If it's considered a temporary place, you're not allowed to walk throughout that, that place. So could they walk only 4,000 feet? Or could they walk throughout the entire camp on Shabbos? If you, you want to go to your Aunt Gertrude's house and, ha- and try out her chont, were you allowed to walk from uh, your, where you were living in your camp, in your area, to all the way to where she was? Or you're not, not allowed to because it's not considered a city. In the same city you could walk, but this wasn't considered a city. This whole Talmud has this question. So Talmud's conclusion is, although it's, it seems like a temporary spot, they're on the way somewhere. However, says the Talmud, Since God himself told them where to travel and told us, told us where to camp and told us where to travel, so therefore it's considered a permanent space. Although it's a temporary space, but because it's a space that God says to do, God says to go in this space, therefore it's considered permanent. That's what the Talmud says. It's a very um, similar principle. The Raghacher Vagoyim actually uses this Talmudic uh, passage to teach. Raghacher Vagoyim is talking about the laws of thoughts when offering a sacrifice. The law is that if a Kohen um, is has the wrong thoughts when he's offering a sacrifice, the sacrifice is invalid. Piggle. It's called pigle, correct. So if the coin has wrong thoughts when he slaughters the animal, when he accepts the blood of the animal, when he walks to the altar, or when he sprinkles the blood on the altar, he has the wrong thoughts at, the, at any of those, those occasions, he invalidates the sacrifice. So the Raghav asks, why is it pertinent, the thoughts that he has while he's walking to the altar? The thoughts that he has when he's slaughtering the animal, that's part of the service. That makes sense that his thoughts can invalidate the, the, the service. But when he just, he's just walking from point A to point B with, with the blood, although he's holding the blood, but it's not, he's not doing anything that's part of the service. So why should his thoughts have the potency to invalidate the service? It's just a coincidence that you cannot sprinkle the blood from the place where he slaughtered the animal because there's a distance between the place of the slaughtering and the place where the blood is sprinkled. Since it's just coincidental, just an ancillary detail, that he has to make that, those few steps from point A to point B, since that's not so important, asks the Raghat Shavagoyin, why is it so important than his thoughts? And the Raghat Shavagoyin answers and says this. He says that since God arranged the world in a way, 
that he has to make that those steps from point A to point B, although it seems they're temporary, but since God arranged that in the world, that that's how things work, therefore, it's considered part of the service. It's not considered coincidental, it's considered divine as it is. Everything in the world is divine. And so it's a, a thought about everything we do as... Tzemach Tzedek told this chassid who told Tzemach Tzedek, hey, I want to move to Israel. I want to be in a place of holiness and learn and pray and get into it. I want to be, I want to be there. So Tzemach Tzedek told this, this man, make here Israel. Wherever you are, that's where God wants you to be and that's how you bring Mashiach. In the place that you're in, in the time that you're in, focus on where you are. Where you are, you want to create the coming of Mashiach. So in this tiny um, microcosm of time and space where you are, all of creation, all of the, the cosmos is in, that, is in that space. And you, as it says in the Torah, God put the world in their heart. So by you doing, focusing on where you are, that's how you're actually causing the transformation of the whole world, although it seems minuscule. But no, the place you're in, the time you're in, that's, that's where it all happens. So the Gemara, by saying that the place they stopped is considered permanent, seems to uh, totally contradict what Rashi says. Rashi says a place you stop is considered temporary. You travel from that space and not considered permanent. But the Gemara says no, it's considered permanent and that's why it has halachic status as a city. What is, how do we reconcile the Talmud's classification of their stopping as being permanent and Rashi's classification as this is something that this is just temporary and that's why it's called a journey. So let's look into the Talmud's words for a second first. There, I don't remember who says this. Um, there was a uh, one, one of one of uh, someone in our generation gave a very interesting parable um, to this passage in the Talmud. He said this: he "says when you take your son on a trip, you take with him, take your son to Rome, you take him to Australia, take him on a long vacation all around the world. So if you ask the parents where'd you go, where were you?" The parents will say, we were in Rome, we were in Australia. We were... If you ask the child, where were you? The child will say, I was with mommy, I was with daddy. Where were you? The child is not considered anything else than being with mommy and daddy. And so too, a Jew, wherever he is, he's with his father in heaven. He's not alone. He is at home. He's with God. And so God wants to tell us that although you are in a state of exile, just like the Jewish people were traveling the desert, they weren't at home in Israel, but they weren't alone. They were guided by God's hand, and therefore all of the different challenges that you may experience, it's considered something that is, it's considered permanent, it's considered something that can't be, you can't lose, you can't, you're not going to um, fail wherever you are, you're not doomed to failure because you're stuck somewhere in, in, in history, rather <clears throat> you're going with God, God's holding your hand, and since you're going with God, you're not going to fail. That's what the Gemara is emphasizing. It's considered permanent. It's considered something that's, that's um, not, not something which is just, uh, it happens to happen this way. It's something which is just temporary. It doesn't matter what happens. I'm stuck somewhere. No, you're going with God's hand. God's telling you to go there. And therefore, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay physically, financially, medically, spiritually. You're not going by yourself. It's considered a permanent, it's, it's considered something which is, um, with, according to God's words, it's considered something which is eternal. God is guiding you in an infinitely intimate way, although it's just a moment. That's the first thing we learn from the Talmud statement. 
But there's another message here. The message is, the Talmud says, because the Torah says, with God's words you shall camp, with God's words you shall travel, therefore it's considered permanent. The Talmud doesn't just quote the first half of the verse, with God's words you shall camp. The Talmud also quotes the second half of the verse, with God's words you shall travel. If the Talmud wants to talk about the places we, that we stopped in the desert and say that they're considered permanent, the emphasis should be on the words, according to God's words, you can't. Although, it's, although you're camping there and you're continuing to travel, yet you should know that that's also um, permanent. So the Talmud should just quote the first half of the verse. When God says to camp, you camp. It's considered something permanent because God said to, to camp. Why is the Talmud also put the second half of the verse when God says to travel, you travel? We're not traveling, you're camping. And the answer is beautiful. The answer is amazing. Even when it looks like that you are camping, you're actually, it's considered part of the journey to Israel. Although you're stopping and staying in one place and it seems like you're being delayed from your destination, but actually the correct understanding of where you are, where are you really? you are really in Israel. This is considered part of the journey to Israel, even while you're stopping. And not only is it considered part of the journey to Israel, since you travel from the place you're in, that place is also considered part of the journey to Israel. It seems like it, there's a delay. It seems like you're, you're going down. It seems like you're going away from where you want to get to. But the Talmud says, no, don't, don't make that mistake. The place you stop is called part of the journey. That's not a place of stopping. Since God is guiding, guiding you, so if God says to stop here, it cannot be in God's world, that there's something which is off, something which is purposeless, something which is meaningless, something which is just to hurt. In God's world, God is our loving Father. Whatever He does is for a purpose, is for, is for our goodness. So if God says to stop, even the stopping is part of going forward. And even when it seems like it's our choice, so we made a mistake, it's also part of the journey to Israel. As Rashi mentions three examples of where we stopped. Rashi says, here is where we slept, here is where we got cold, and here is where you hurt your head. So we learned once about this, that the first two sentences are about things that God does. Here is where we slept, where we got cold, where it was clear that God was making the, making the choice, and so if, if there's something that was deficient, okay, if God does it, it must be part of the journey forward. But what about you, the places you, where you hurt your head? Where you, with your foolishness, and you and everyone knows their own foolishness, you made a mistake. And the Talmud adds the word, Rashi adds the word, etc. The etc. means not just the journeys in the desert, but all the mistakes that we make throughout our lives. You may think those things, you, the mistakes you made, have now derailed you from the journey. You, they, have, they have hopelessly delayed you. And now you're on some other journey, not the journey towards Israel. So Rashi says, no, since every descent is for the purpose of an ascent, and even the descent that we make by our own volition is also the purpose of an ascent, just like the first mistake with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were told not to eat from the tree, and yet the purpose of creation could only be fulfilled if they ate from the tree. Only if they'd made a mistake and ate from the tree could Mashiach come. If they would not have eaten from the tree, Mashiach would never have come. So it's, it's part of the journey forward that they had to stop and 
and be delayed seemingly. It's part of the journey forward. You're in the same place, but yet the Talmud says that's considered part of Israel, part of the journey forward. Although, imagine this. Imagine if you left the clouds and you decided to walk towards Israel outside the clouds. Are you getting closer to the destination? No. Think on a personal level. If a doctor tells you, hey, uh, for for your health, you need to take some rest. And you want to not, you want to skip that. You want to not take the rest. Are you getting closer? Think about your prayers. You're supposed to think about what the words mean. And it doesn't take that much more time in your life to focus on your prayers. It doesn't take that much more time. You put in more time in your prayers. How much more time would that mean for you? Would it be more than 10 minutes? Concentration. Would it be more than 10 minutes? Would it be more than 20 minutes? So you put another 10, 20 minutes in your prayers. You, put, you, you concentrate a little bit more. Is that concentration taking you away from where you want to get to? The Talmud actually says, one of the ways to increase your lifespan is by praying at length. So when you are actually stopping, it's actually enhancing your life. That's why the Talmud actually says, the Torah says, the reason why the Torah reminds us that because we honor our parents, the reward for this is to have a long life. Why is that the reward, to have a long life? The reason why that's the reward is because you might think you're wasting your time. It take, honoring your parents is take, it's such a time-consuming thing. Since it's so time-consuming, you might think, hey, it's better I do things which are for me. Why should I go honor my parents? I have so many other things to do. The Torah says, no, you, you have much more life. You'll have much more life if you honor your parents. In a similar way, it, when, you, when you pray longer, when you guard your health, it enhances your life. And so too, when the Jewish people are in the desert, by them listening to God and stopping, they're actually getting closer to the de- to destination. Although it's, it's, they couldn't see how that led them closer to the destination. But since God, every descent is a purpose of an ascent, so every delay of that is happening is by God's hand. So it's not really a, a descent. It's really something which is, which is part of the ascent. So too, in regards to these three weeks of mourning for the Beis HaMikdash, Although it, it seems like that these three weeks are the ultimate descent of an ultimate departure from the journey of, of the purpose of creation, everything in, in that Hashem orchestrates, even things which happen by our own mistakes, are for the purpose of the everlasting goodness of the coming Mashiach. It's not that we went off and we made this mistake and we got derailed and now we're stuck in the exile and who long knows how long we'll be here. Every generation fulfilled the purpose of why it was created. Every person fulfills the purpose of why he or she is created. It's all part of the journey. And there's, there, through tshuva, through returning to Hashem, we transform the sins into mitzvahs, negative into positive. And so therefore, every part of the, 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 um, the, the journey, even the things which look like that it's our, our mistake, just like Adam and Eve's mistake, it's really not a derailment from the journey. On the contrary, as Rashi says, since from the place you stop, you continue to travel, that's also part of the journey. The place you stopped in, the place that you've, you've seemingly made this mistake and, and detached yourself from where you need to get to, that's part of the journey. This descent is the purpose of an ascent. This is true on a personal level. This is true for us as, as a Jewish people. And it's something we need to bear in mind in these three weeks that, it's, it's, that we're not, it's not about mourning the past as much as it is by preparing for the future, by getting ready for the true and complete Ulf Mashiach, realizing that all of Hashem was really remodeling the temple when He destroyed it. He's preparing it for because halacha is you can't destroy a temple; you're not allowed to. And God keeps His Torah. How could God destroy His own temple? The answer is is that God destroyed the temple for the purpose of rebuilding it forever. 
And so too in our own life, in our, our own destruction of our own temples, we have to realize it's not really a destruction. Even our own mistakes, they're really part of the journey forward. It's part of getting to where we need to get to. And uh, just see it happen now. L'chaim, l'chaim, Okay, but there's an obvious question here, and that is,